Matthew, today's topic for anything is possible is in fact loss aversion. Okay, everybody here, if you're not too familiar with anything's possible, this is a uh, bi-weekly version of the show where we cover a different topic. Could be some game history, game trivia, um, or just something extra that you uh, that that Matt or I find interesting when it comes to video games. And today's topic is loss aversion. Uh, loss aversion being a pretty uh, a pretty big base of a lot of game design, not just in video games, but in many of the games that we play, uh, board games, sports, and things like that. Um, and I'm going to be getting into different examples and the, the real principles of loss aversion. Uh, by doing this, I'm going to be playing a few games with Matt today on, uh, on this recording. Um, we are, so for those of you that are listening to the podcast, you're not going to get the full effect, so we're going to be describing uh, what I'm doing to play these games with Matt. They might involve coin flips, uh, dice rolls, and things like that. So we're going to, I have my trusty quarter here uh, for the coin flips, and we're going to be going over some loss aversion. Matt, you ready? Put me in, coach. All right. So uh, loss aversion. Most of what I'm going to be talking about comes from a phenomenal talk that was done by Jeffrey Engelstein uh, at the 2017 GDC uh, Game Developers Conference. It was a panel he did. You can find it on YouTube by Googling or searching up on YouTube, Loss Aversion GDC. Uh, it's a great talk, about an hour long, uh, typical you know conference panel talk, about 20 of which is a good Q&A session. Um, and the principle of Loss Aversion um, is this. It's, it's not a very elegant, it's, it's very hard to state it very, very elegantly, but I'll, I'll try my best here. The principle, of, the main principle of Loss Aversion is that gains feel good. Wouldn't you agree, Matt? I agree. But losses feel worse than gains. Are you following? I like it green, not red. Pe people will not take a risk on gaining against a loss unless what is to gain is higher than what is to lose. Okay? I know it's okay. it sounds sounds weird already, but I'm going to ask you a question, Matt. I want you to go with your gut here, okay? So okay. For, for this episode, I, I want you to avoid thinking too hard on the question. Just think about what you might, your gut says about something, okay? Okay. All right. So let's say I'm going to flip this coin, okay? We can see it right here on the webcam while we're recording. I'm going to flip this coin. I'm going to put up $20 for this coin flip, and you're going to put up $20 for this coin flip. You're gonna call heads or tails, then I flip it. Are you and the winner gets the others twenty dollars. Okay, so twenty dollars to lose, twenty dollars to gain. Would you take that? Would you take that risk? Yeah, take that risk. You would? Okay. You're different from the average person. Okay, because the oh. average person would actually not typically take this sort of risk. It's a it's a fifty fifty chance, fifty fifty risk, okay, and the gain is going to be just exactly what you put up to gain, right? So you put up 20, you have the ability to gain 20, okay? Uh, most people are actually not going to take this gain unless it is at least double what they want to put up, okay? So for instance, if, you're gonna, if I'm going to put up 20, you're going to put up 20, you want to win 40 more. So you want to win a total of 60 in order to take this risk, okay? That's the general understanding with loss aversion. Now, loss aversion is a deep psychological study. It's still being studied. There's numerous things that have come out, and many of these studies are actually only 20, 30 years old, um, which I find very, very interesting. There's basically five different components to loss aversion that I'm going to talk about on today's episode. 
Okay, so everybody keep in mind the $20 gain versus the $20 loss on a 50-50 game of chance. Okay, the first thing I'm going to do is talk about framing. Okay, now framing is something that's uh, very, very interesting. Framing is done very frequently for us in video games, Matt. Have you ever heard of the concept of framing? Other than like framing a concept, no. Okay, <laughs> so framing of a uh, within a video game is actually, or framing within a game is actually a manipulative tool in psychology that we can rely on on a pretty consistent basis. Okay, so let's say you have a pool of 600 people, Matt. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you choice A and choice B. Okay, okay? you have a pool of 600 people. Uh, there's a horrible disease sweeping through these 600 oh. people. It's a p small population. Choice A, save 200 of them. Okay. Choice B, 400 of them die. What you taking? Well, you got to do choice A, right? They're the same choice. Obviously. Yeah. But on paper, on paper, mathematically, they're the same exact result. 200 people yeah. end up living. But in one case, the way I ask the question, the way I frame it, I'm asking you to save 200 people rather than the other, let 400 people die. See the small, right. subtle difference there? So that's a really easy psychological trick in framing that we don't often think about when it comes to games. Games are doing this on a regular level all the time. Okay, so it's, it's kind of the you gain versus what you gain versus what you lose right because in one the loss aversion is is in that this that that choice that you just made on choice a is actually an active example of loss aversion you're choosing to avoid the loss of 400 people to instead save 200 okay right. one feels like a loss one does not feel like a loss does that make sense yeah okay we'll get back to frame. I mean, it's all about framing it right yeah yeah like but, said. yeah yeah and uh we'll we'll get back to framing a little bit later in this episode um but before we do that i'm going to tell you about a really interesting 2012 study that was done with the chicago teachers bonus okay i think i think you're gonna like this one okay i found this one what uh insanely what, what kind of what kind of um group is that <laughs> uh so a chicago uh uh, there was three groups of Chicago teachers that uh, were participated in a study. I'm not quite sure the details of the study. I'd have to look it up. Probably post the source of this inside the description of the podcast episode. Um, but there was a study that was done in 2012 of three groups of teachers in Chicago um, mm -hmm. with different incentives for a bonus structure. Okay. Now, group A was the control group. No performance-based bonus structure for them. Okay. Group two... A bonus awarded if the students improve the test scores. A $10,000 bonus at the end of the year for improved test scores over the year. Okay? Group three received the $10,000 bonus at the start of the year. But if the students Ooh. did not improve, they had to give it back. That's terrifying. It's terrifying, right? Yeah. Which group do you think had improved test scores? Group one with no uh, no performance bonus awarded. Group two, where at the end of the year, if their scores improved, they got a bonus. Or group three, they had to give their bonus back. I'm going to have to go with group three. Group three. Because they group, were scared. Yep. Group three was the group uh, where the test scores did improve. 
Why? Because loss aversion was actually at play here. Mathematically, bonus two and bonus or group two and group three can be seen as the same exact uh, type of group, right? If in fact, if someone in group three just put that ten thousand dollars in a box and was prepared to give it back, it's exactly the same type of situation as group two. But uh, loss aversions. Well, the difference is that loss aversion is in play for group three. But my. There's so many other variables that play here, I feel like. Wait, I, I want to make sure. This was an actual study that was this played was, out, right? This was. So I I'll, I know I know where you're getting at, and this this is not a perfect – I think it's not exactly perfect because there right. can like, be other factors. Were they required to not spend the money, or could they be dumb and, like, blow it and then risk being down ten grand additional, right? Uh, I, I I would assume so. I think the yeah. – the, yeah, there'd have to be a feeling of loss. And, you know – Sorry. The the thing is, is that it's not, there's a number of different factors that can be at play. So you got to take this kind of thing with a grain of salt. But sure. I think in an abstract way, when you think about it, I would much rather, I would feel more scared, therefore probably try harder in scenario number three, um, which plays, in, plays into my deep fear of losing something as opposed to gaining something. So yeah. at the end of the day, if the numbers are exactly the same, if there's something to lose, it is just a scarier situation that enables you to perform a little bit harder. Okay? Loss aversion coming into play. Okay? I'm 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 with you till the end of the line, pal. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh I'm gonna talk about something else here. Uh switching over to point number two, uh, which has to do with uh picking something, then switching something. Okay? okay. It's called regret. All right. Oh. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna do got a lot of that. I'm gonna do I'm gonna do so, I'm gonna do something for you, Matt, uh, and it's gonna uh, hopefully uh, illustrate what I'm trying to go for here. Okay, so okay. I have the quarter in one hand right here. Okay, if you're watching this live stream or you're watching this video a little bit later, um, I am in fact holding a quarter. Um, I'm gonna put it in one of my hands. Okay, I'm gonna mix it up. There, I'm holding both my hands up, Matt. Which hand is holding the quarter? My left or my right? Always go left, left. Okay, my left. Okay, if you choose correctly, I'm gonna give you $5. This is actually an example that Jeffrey Engelstein brings up in his exact conference talk, okay? I'm gonna give you $5 if you guess right. You just pick left, okay? If you, it, okay, I'm gonna, pro, I'm gonna propose this to you. I'm gonna allow you to switch to the other hand for the same amount of money. So if you switch and get it correct, you're also going to get $5. Same money if you switch. Are you going to switch? No. Okay. What if I gave you $15 if you switched and got it right? Fuck yeah, I'm going to You're going to go for that? Okay. It's 50-50. Okay. You're correct. Okay? It is in my right hand. Oh! You now get something that was worth three times after switching okay so you do not have regret that has a 50 percent chance of working on the switch so you're part of 50 percent of the population what they found was that if something was of equal value most people did not switch you had the exact same you had the exact same chances in case number one okay but you chose to go with your number one choice there's no there's not necessarily a reason for you to do it other than the feeling of regret that you'd feel if you got it wrong Okay. Think back to in school during multiple choice tests. Okay. You don't know the answer. It's A, B, C, or D. So you just pick A. Yeah. But you overthink it and you kind of want to switch it to C. 
but no they tell you in school that what the right thing to do is pick go with your gut go with the first thing but what that really means is you want to avoid the loss of you want to avoid the loss because if you switch to c and you're wrong it's worse than if you just got a wrong in the first place both have the exact same chances if you think about it right if you're going if you in that situation if you absolutely don't know a b c or d right so regret regret is always in play when it comes to loss aversion is this doing it for you are you learning a thing or two i'm just soaking it in baby. <laughs> <laughs> okay this one I feel like i feel like i'm in a college lecture <laughs> it's a good That's thing legal. though I liked college. Okay, <laughs> good. Yeah, me too. This is I, I love learning and I love that I get to learn something new for the pod and, and teach it to all the all the gamers out there. Maybe even the gamers that are out there trying to design their own games. Take these principles with you. These principles are always at play with the games that we play. And, and what I want to hear about, how, how do we apply this theory to games? I'm going to get to some really strong examples a little bit down the line when it comes to last version. Okay. okay. But I want to touch on something called competence next. Okay. Competence is super, super interesting. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to demonstrate competence right here. Okay. I'm okay. <laughs> this is, this is going to be a very subtle difference and I have to verbalize it for our listeners out there. Um, I want you to call heads or tails on this coin. Okay. Not in the air. Just call it now. Heads. It is tails. Okay, I'm gonna do something else for you now. Okay, I'm gonna I'm I'm visualize it, okay? I'm gonna flip the coin first. I'm gonna look at it. Now I want you to call it. Heads. You got it right. Ah. What <laughs> felt worse and what felt better? Well, inherently the first one felt worse because I got it wrong. Okay, okay. But let's uh, pretend I got both right. Uh-huh. Or let's pretend I got both wrong, rather. Mm -hmm. The latter would have felt worse because the play already happened. Yeah. And there's no, you know, and I don't know. Exactly. So it's this feeling of, he he knows the right <laughs> answer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but in one situation, uh, in both cases, it's a 50-50% chance, right? Exactly. The difference is the order of events that happen, okay? And the competence that you might feel on either decision. Right. So just because I know if it's heads or tails doesn't necessarily make a difference on your choice. Right. Because it's still going to be a 50, 50 percent chance. Um, so A will be chosen as the what the first example of what we just did, where you pick before the action, you pick the you call the outcome before the action. That generally is what people feel better doing than the other way around. People do not like calling the outcome after the outcome has happened or during the outcome. It just feels a little bit worse. Um, so this is what we call the amount of information you know in proportion to what can be known. It's actually kind of gets a little heady and abstract. So because the outcome can be known by me, it makes you feel worse about your own knowledge of the situation. Okay, so because neither of us knew the outcome in situation A, you felt a little bit better going right. into the situation as opposed yeah. to B, where I knew the information and you didn't, that made you feel just a little bit less confidence in, the, in what was happening. Does that make sense? Yeah. Let's take this to a game. Okay, I'm going to give you a solid example here. This happens a lot in card games. 
This happens a lot in Yu-Gi-Oh. This happens a lot in Magic the Gathering. Okay. I, I'm not too familiar with some of the newer Yu-Gi-Oh mechanics that are in play, but I can tell you some things in Magic the Gathering that may happen. Let me know if you see this happen in Yu-Gi-Oh a lot. In Magic the Gathering, there are situations where neither player knows the outcome of an event, okay? Maybe there's a card that is a 50-50% chance. Sometimes a Magic card will have you flip a coin and destroy the monster that's attacking you off a coin flip. So I don't know what the result is. You don't know what the result is. But let's say I can destroy a creature um, off of something that I, like a, a face-down trap card, okay? Let's say the face-down trap card is not anything that can kill the monster but you might feel like it is because i have knowledge of something that you don't have knowledge of okay so the dynamic of me having knowledge of something versus you not having knowledge of something even though one thing has a completely different outcome than the other makes you feel way way less confident in the situation right in in that particular situation with like trap card and Yu-Gi-Oh, i'm i it might come down to me being able to bluff really well so you might see this kind of thing in poker a little bit. You might see it. But bottom line is uh, the, the competence that you have in what can be known matters to the situation, even if what can be known doesn't actually interact with the outcome. Makes sense? A little heady. I think it's very interesting stuff. Okay. One of my favorites, the endowment effect. Okay. If you give something to someone for free, they will value it more and want to stick with it than switch. Okay? I'll repeat that. If you give something to someone for free, they will value it more and want to stick with it. Perfect video game example I'm going to give you. The companion cube in Portal. Uh. Yeah. Okay, so uh, for those of you that have never played Portal, I can't imagine why you've never played Portal. Please go play it. We actually, it's on the podcast list. Um, yeah, actually, I can't believe we haven't done that I yet. I can't believe we haven't done that either. Uh, yeah. So in, uh, in Portal, this is going to be a little spoiler alert for it. Um, you're given a pet companion cube um, in one of the levels. One of the more advanced levels in the game. It's a little bit later. It's a long level where you have to use this cube. It's, the cube is like covered in hearts. And GLaDOS, the robot It's that's, very endearing. It is very endearing, but it's just yeah. a cube. It's the it's exact cube. same cube as every other cube that you use as a tool in the game. But it has some hearts on it. But it has some hearts on it. And GLaDOS... It's given to you. It's given to you. And GLaDOS actually tells you, the evil robot that's making you go through all these experiments, GLaDOS actually tells you that this is your companion cube. You have to love it. You have to appreciate it and all this stuff. You bring it with you throughout the entire level. There's, it's actually designed so that you have to keep bringing it along with you. Then at the very end... Matt, what happens to the companion cube? Doesn't it get tossed in an incinerator? You have to toss it in the incinerator. Right. Yeah. Right? It's a psychological thing that happens because in order to get through the level, you actually have to incinerate the thing that was endowed to you. And it's, it's one, because this cube has followed you and helped you get through the level that you care about it. But there's no reason to really care about, in one, an inanimate object inside of a video game, which isn't even tangible or real, but you right. care about it because it was given to you and you decided to care about it, okay? Now, so this creates a weird psychological effect. In fact, I've heard stories of, you know, some people play Portal and they genuinely have a hard time getting rid of the companion cube, sometimes trying to find ways like, do I really have to get rid of the companion? Can I glitch right, it through the yeah. wall? Like, and I remember feeling that way when I first threw it in. I was like, do I really have to kill this cube? Like, <laughs> come on. So 
This is a really, really powerful effect in video games. Think of every single sidekick you've ever had or any companion that joins you in like any Call of Duty campaign. You always actually feel a little bit bad when they die, even more so than when you die. Like, I remember when my when the companions in Spec Ops were like, oh, like, oh, God, no, don't, don't die. Right. Yeah, no, like, I didn't care. I actually cared more if they died than if I died because they were given to me at the beginning of the game. They, this was my squad. I, I, or like in uh, Outer Worlds too, same thing where like, not necessarily wasn't in doubt upon you, but with your companions that like, in a sense, were in doubt upon you by the game, very clearly put them in your path and you chose to keep them yep. around. Then you get these attachments to them. Yeah. And then when I hear Pavarti screaming in the background, no, yeah, I'm like, ah, no, you know? yeah, exactly. So it's actually, it actually happens quite a bit in games. Uh, the things that are given to us, we really grow a lot of attachment to. You don't want to lose these things. Okay. Now this this last one. Okay, this is another. Uh, this is an, the last principle of loss aversion that I want to talk about. It's called endowed progress. Okay, endowed progress is super super interesting. It's a very very. Um, I, it's a very manipulative psychological effect. Um, now, Matt, I'm gonna give you an example here. Okay. You go to a car wash. Mm-hmm. You get a stamp card for the car wash. In situation A. The stamp card has eight, eight spots on it. So you have to get eight car washes to get a free car wash. In situation two, you get another stamp card. It requires 10. Okay? So 10 car washes to get a free car wash. But the first two are already stamped free for you. In both situations, it is going to take you eight car washes to get a free car wash. Which yes. one are you going with? This is a pretty obvious answer. The, the latter one where they're stamped already. They're stamped already. Yeah. You've been given, you've been bestowed some progress on this stamp card, okay? And they found that in a study with this exact situation that the stamp card that had 10 on it was completed 19% more than the stamp card with eight, okay? So people feel good when you give them a little bit of progress to start, Okay, so rather than starting from zero, they start from two, but the result for the car wash is always going to be the same. They're going to get eight car washes to give away a free one. Okay, you see this in what fame, what board game that we really love? Do you always do you see this in at the beginning of every setup? Catan. <laughs> That's right. Settlers of Catan. Settlers of Catan or Catan, depending on uh, who you are and uh, how your how your vibe is. Uh, Catan or Catan. <laughs> Uh, that game awards you, you need 10 victory points to win the game. It gives you two at the beginning. Okay. You automatically start two. It actually says this in the instructions. It says, don't worry. You already have two victory points. You're already, you're already close. (laughs) And it makes you feel good that you already have two. Right. And I know that psychologically when you're playing Catan or Catan, you actually do kind of feel good about those two victory points, even though they could have just as easily made it uh, increase the number of victory points that you need by two, right? Either way, you have to earn eight is the, is the idea there, yeah. okay? Um, so endowed progress can be very, very crucial when it comes to game design. And, and you see it in a lot of ways uh, when it comes to ranking up in online games. Uh, people are either given a small amount of ELO or start off at a slightly higher rank, right? Uh, made for them to kind of maybe go up or down, but they're given a little bit at the beginning, right? I mean, you could play, let's say you play League of Legends, you start off with a little bit of gold to make some choices. It's a game design choice. You make some choices of what you want to buy in the shop, 
right? But they could easily just level everybody out, give everyone the items that they ideally should buy, and you don't get any money, right? But that little bit of money that you get at the beginning makes you feel like, okay, well, I get to start off with a little bit of choices, even though you only really get like two choices in the beginning. Yeah. (laughs) Because you're not going to buy anything other than what you're supposed to buy in that situation. So loss aversion, right? Framing, okay? Uh, How are we framing our gains or our losses? Are we framing them by saving or destroying things? Okay, that's number one in in the manipulation of loss aversion. Um, Regret, okay? Are you going to change the choice that you made? Um, Because nobody likes the feeling of regret. So we avoid changing our choices. These are in large averages. We avoid changing our choices after we've made our initial choice. Competence. Does you making the choice of the outcome before or after the action happens, does that impact the way you feel about your choice or the action? And turns out it does, right? Endowed endowment effect. People love the things that are given to them for free. In fact, they'll hang on for they'll hang on to them sometimes more so than their own progress. Sometimes even more so sure. than their own character, right? Sidekicks, companion cubes. Um, Inanimate objects, uh, endowed progress. People love the idea of being of having a little bit of progress given to them, and they're more likely to complete the full progress if they're given a little bit to begin with, even if the amount is the same. Huh? Okay. Uh, now, let me ask, where do you see this? How do you see this being continued to being implemented in the games of the future? Do we see what we've already seen be built yeah. upon? Do we see it just kind of be like a little gimmick here and there, just kind of make people, people feel better about themselves? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that game design is shifting towards the principles of getting rid of loss aversion, uh, or getting rid of loss by and large. Okay, so uh, let's think about the games that are the previous generations grew up with, right? Uh, the two most popular games, Monopoly and Risk. Both games where you start with nothing, you gain a lot, and then you lose it at the end, and that's how you lose the game. Then think of the most popular game that's played amongst people in our board game generation. Catan. We've already kind of brought it up. It's one of the more popular ones. Everyone's played it. You notice you don't lose anything in Catan. If you get a city, you get a city. Nobody can destroy it. Nobody can get rid of it. That's actually, that's a good point as far as your victory points once you have... No. You can lose them. Points. You can lose them with like your largest army, longest, army, road, and longest road and largest army. But you're not losing your road, and your army is not shrinking. Somebody else yeah. is just gaining more than you. So it's it's actually a game design principle that feels a lot better to to experience rather than like nobody loves losing a lot in Risk. Like losing in Risk right. just doesn't doesn't feel great. You so rather than uh, going towards a game design principle where you make people lose more. Catan is doing like more of a new style thing, actually a European game style where your your opponents are gaining more. It actually has the same net result, you losing and your opponents gaining, but in this situation everybody kind of feels a little bit better cuz you don't lose anything. You're just constantly right. building up more and more and more. Um so I think that games are generally gearing towards that. I think that ladders in ranked systems with games are a little more um kind of follow this principle a little bit more like for instance um so in league of legends uh i'm I'm bringing this example up because i've been playing quite a bit of league um in league of legends when somebody 
leaves a game. So let's say it's a 4v5. Somebody on your team leaves. Okay? You do get a loss mitigated. So instead of losing 15 league points LP, you lose 6 or 5. Right? But what they do as a psychological trick when this happens is when you lose the game and you leave it, it'll show you 15 points. Like you're going to lose this much. And then it'll go, shunk, loss mitigated. And then you'll lose six. And you'll go, oh, thank God, I only lost six. <laughs> you say, so you go, so, so the game actually starts you visually at the point where you're going to lose a lot. Right. Then you don't lose that much. Casinos do this. Slot machines do this. They, slot machines actually celebrate losses. But you put a dollar in and you win 50 cents, but you won 50 cents. So right. it's got yeah. the bells and whistles and stuff <laughs> like that. So the loss, the, the loss just doesn't feel very bad. So these little tricks of framing are actually really, really pushing people along in, in the gaming space, I think. Well, the, the way you frame something is, I mean, it's, it's all about perception, right? It's how you're looking at it, you know? Yeah. But through, the white, through the right lens, you know, a, a, vict- a loss can be turned into a victory. And even vice versa, if something's framed poorly to you or it's something that isn't being communicated well by the game, whether it's the game developer, whether it's the board game maker, the, the, the blackjack dealer yeah. at the casino, yeah. um, a win might actually feel like a loss, you know? Yeah. Um, so understanding like how these you know these kind of casinos and stuff or whatever games are trying to frame things to you can kind of help you better understand the game you're playing too and kind of like maybe not to sound like overly um ambitious about it or like overly I don't know, like pompous but like it can kind of help you like see through the the noise and the bullshit a little bit at yeah. times that they're feeding you right yeah, exactly so yeah everybody out there next time you're in a casino just put five dollars in the slot machine and inevitably a loss will actually be celebrated to make it not feel so bad. Okay, mm-hmm. so you will bet a dollar and you'll win 80 cents back. And the machine will blink and it'll be celebrated as a win even though you lost 20 cents. So they're celebrating a loss for you, making you not feel as bad by framing it a little bit better. Um, which is just just such an interesting psychological trick. I mean, I'm not saying that... Um, it's, it's necessarily a good thing. It's not exactly healthy for people. Um, it could feed into a lot of addictions. It actually can create addictive behavior with people um, and kind of put people in that Skinner box mentality where they just like want another hit and another hit and another hit. Yeah. Slot machines are famously very good at that sort of thing. Um, but I guess the point being that objectively, we have to look at these sorts of principles that are at the foundation of a lot of our games. Um, and how they're actually advancing a lot of the gaming designs that have come about in the last few years. Find me a gamer that thinks that Catan, or thinks that Monopoly is better than Catan. I mean, it just doesn't feel as good to play. And I think that right. people, like, uh, we're, we're understanding that more and more in this generation. That's why those kinds of games are quite a bit more popular. Okay, and you're going you're gonna to start seeing a lot more games. You're going to start seeing these get understood a little bit better, where instead of people losing things, more players gain and build things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's just a very, very interesting mechanic. Uh, very, very interesting game design choices do, that have been coming about. Do you think that it has problematic complications for like how we approach life and kind of what we expect out of life and how we react to certain things? Um, how we react to an actual loss in real life? Do you think we're being conditioned too much to always expect to not necessarily be losing, but maybe someone else is just doing a little bit better. That's a really great, uh, great principle. I, I don't I mean, That's a really great thing to bring up, and I'm not sure, quite sure I have the answer to it right now. 
Um, but it's it'll be interesting to see wh- how we start feeling about wins and losses in the next you know 20, 30 years when these things are really conditioned into us. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's yeah, it's interesting. I mean, is it almost? It's almost kind of like the modern version of everyone gets a trophy in my, that's kind of how I'm yeah. in my mind right now. Yeah. I think there's certain things that will always have, um, a, a type of like win loss thing. Right. Um, yeah. but everything's, I guess everything's framed up a little bit differently. You yeah. know, things are scored yeah. a little bit differently and who knows how scoring or certain things will change over time. You know, what would basketball be like if instead of when you make a three pointer, the other team just loses three points. Just so same net result, same net result. Oh, right. Yeah. So you yeah, make a three, true, you make a yeah. three and now the other team just loses three points that, I mean, has a lot of stat implications for one, but effectively within the game, it's the exact same result. Okay. A net gain of three points. One obviously just would never work. <laughs> it just wouldn't fly and it wouldn't fly because somebody losing points just doesn't feel good. Okay. We want the number to be high. We want, we yeah. don't want to feel loss. We want to feel a higher gain. Uh, even if it has the exact same end result. Um, this is the interesting thing about how we how we frame up our games. I mean, our sports have been doing it for years. That's why they last so long. That's why they're so cool to watch and fun. Um, so you may see video games start to pick up on that a little bit more, um, even more so moving forward. Yeah. Well, I'm excited for the future. Me too. I'm excited to be here and watch it. And now, for you, our, our live watchers and our listeners at home on your iOS or Android mobile devices. Now you too <laughs> can uh, can uh, see through the 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 malarkey. That's right. That the big uh, big corporations running Catan are trying to push down you. <laughs> um, know your place. Wow. And uh, <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. Listen, I know, everybody. I, know. Yeah, I just I I, I but pay. I, I want everybody out there to pay attention of the instances of these types of principles hitting you on a gaming basis. Okay. Yeah. So the next time you play a game, ask yourself, am I gaining something or am I losing something here? Okay. The net result might be the same, but one feels a little bit better to experience. Yes. Definitely. Okay. So yeah. that's loss aversion, everybody. Um, that's all I got for today's anything's possible. Uh, Matt, do you want to tell the audience uh, where they could email us? Maybe some more suggestions, uh, maybe some really great instances of loss aversion in games. Everyone, as always, you can shoot us an email at thanksforplayingpod at gmail.com. Again, that is thanksforplayingpod at gmail.com. Shoot us an email with an example of loss aversion that you have seen, whether you're playing a board game, whether you're seeing in a real-life example, perhaps, like a stamp, um, like a stamp card, or whether you're playing um, cat, Catan, whatever it may be. Tell us when you experienced it, or shoot us a game suggestion or an anything's possible topic. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, Instagram, Twitter, TFP Podcast, TFP Podcast with an S at the end. And leave and uh, leave a review, subscribe, all that fun stuff. We're on Stitcher now. That's pretty cool. We are on Stitcher. So, um, go uh, go click through all those episodes for us really quickly just to give us the downloads <laughs> for our stats. And um, I think that's all we got today, everyone. Remember, anything's possible.